the Spot Track Podcast, talking sports contracts, the salary cap, and business of sports. Today's edition of the Spot Track Podcast is presented by The Athletic. For sports fans, there's no better place to get breaking news, real time commentary, and powerful stories than The Athletic with comprehensive coverage and insightful analysis built around your favorite leagues and teams. The Athletic delivers everything you need and every sports story that matters. Visit theathletic.com slash spot track and get 40% off your first year subscription today. That's theathletic.com slash spot track. Today's edition is also presented by Morgan Stanley Global Sports and Entertainment, dedicated to serving the unique wealth management needs of athletes and top professionals in the sports and entertainment industry. This is the time of year for this. No question about it. This is post NFL draft, NBA draft, NHL draft right around the corner. This is a time when young athletes who are prospective professionals need help, not just guidance and, of course, training, but all of that costs money. And Morgan Stanley's global sports and entertainment company is about facilitating those financial needs up front and, of course, supporting these athletes then through their professional careers, wealth management, risk management, all of those basic needs that not enough of us use just regular Joes, right? And certainly the the, uh, the men and women who are making millions or, or prospectively making millions of dollars, you know, they should be seeking all the advice they can get. That's where these guys come into play, of course. Visit ms.com slash GSE. That's Morgan Stanley, Global Sports and Entertainment. My name is Mike Chinetti. Happy Monday, May 10th. Happy Mother's Day to all the mothers out there. Hope it was a nice weekend. Plenty of sports to go along with that, of course. I'm going to start where I generally don't start. It's the tail end of the NHL season, NHL regular season, I should say, before the NHL postseason starts, which is really just the second season. There's nothing like it. We had an individual in the NHL this year that probably didn't get enough attention, and I hope he does now. And I think some of the major markets are going to start to bleed out some information about this, and I certainly want to give some due where it's due here. Uh, Connor McDavid is a superstar, has been every single year since he's joined the league. This is year six kind of five and a half full seasons in terms of the, the production and what's been available to him. A couple of really bad seasons in Edmonton. Just, that's kind of the way the franchise was going there. But look, this is a second place team right now. They're going to be a factor in the postseason. I think they can win a couple of rounds. And that's kind of the icing on the cake when you talk about Connor McDavid right now, because here's what's happening. He just posted 100 points. And you can say, well, yeah, many of the great players do. Well, uh, we only played 53 games, okay? <laughs> this was a 53-game regular season, and Connor McDavid just posted 100 points. So you adjust that for 82. You're at 155-ish, okay? That's big boy stuff, really big boy stuff. That's top 10 production all time in terms of offensive statistics. And look, I start, I start doing some quick research as to who else was up there in the 150 mark, and you're talking about a lot of players that were in the pre, you know, in, in the major scoring era was offsides, even if even a thing, you know, what kind of style of play were you in? It's so hard now to, to compare anything generationally. But my point is it's Gretzky. It's Lemieux. It's Gordie Howe. It's Bobby Orr. And Connor McDavid is now fringe in this conversation. And he's going to be compared to Gretzky as much as possible because of the Edmonton ties. And now, because it's not just that he's posting these numbers, it's that he's posting these numbers and everyone else is two mountains away from him. 
in terms of where they are in second place and, and down. So two things to say about this. I've got a bunch of numbers. I'll throw them out. But off the top here, here's what I have to say out loud. Even if you hate hockey, you got to see this kid live. I saw him in his rookie campaign a couple of times here in Buffalo. It is lightning on ice. It is lightning fast, smooth, unbelievable strides, and he can get himself to the, to the net with the puck anytime he wants. It's rare air, and it is really something fun. If you've got kids who enjoy this sport, they need to see this kid in person. <laughs> they really do. He is just the, uh, he sticks out like a sore thumb among the other men on the ice right now. He really does. It is a joy to watch. So I'll say that off the top before I spit some numbers at you here. So I mentioned the 100 points this year. It's his third 100-point season in, like I said, about five and a half years. 569 points total in 404 games, 1.4 points per game. One is above average. He is fourth all-time right now with that, with that metric. Okay, and here's the names. You're going to know them. <laughs> Wayne Gretzky at 1.9, which is ridiculous. Mario Lemieux at 1.8, also ridiculous. Mike Bossy at 1.49. That seems pretty attainable if Connor McDavid can stay on this pace right now. Because like we said, it's shortened season this year, shortened season last year. You know, he's had some injuries as well, as hockey players will do. But like he just he just soared past Bobby Orr this year in terms of points per game, which in terms of a, a forward, what's more important than that outside of winning the, the game as a team. Um, that, that, that's pretty much the, the singular jaw dropping number right there is the 1.4. That's, you know, it's not a small sample size anymore. This is like I said, five and a half years, 570 games. This is real deal stuff. He is going to do something every single time you go to see him. If you pay, if you pay money to go see Connor McDavid, there's going to be a, a, a goal and, or an assist. Okay, so I mentioned how it's McDavid and then the rest of the league. And that's the conversation you can start to have with Wayne Gretzky because nobody came close to Wayne Gretzky in those years. Gretzky had four consecutive seasons where he was 50% or more better than the second highest point producer of that season. McDavid was 48% this year ahead of McKinnon. Nathan McKinnon from Colorado. So in this regard where it's kind of, you know, and look, this is not a scoring league right now. This is not a scoring era since 2004 and the lockout and the, and the rule changes. We had a couple of years there where, you know, speed killed and then it really dropped back into a defensive mechanism, a defensive league. And it has been ever since. Um, the last time 150 points were scored was, was Mario Lemieux, 1995-96. During that time, the league was averaging 3.1 goals per game. Right now, it's 2.9. And you say, well, that's not a big shift. It's a huge shift. <laughs> that's, that's a huge shift across you know, many teams, more teams, by the way, more teams, more players, um, less goals, much less goals. So He's doing this against all odds. He is the exception to the rule right now in terms of how the league operates. He does stand out, not just with speed. Um, but there's plenty to go along with this. So he's going to win his, win his third scoring title this year. 
when it's all said and done in the next 24 hours. How does that kind of stack up? Gretzky had 10, which doesn't seem attainable. Okay, year six for for McDavid here. But Mario Lemieux, Gordie Howe had six. And I think that's probably the number. That's probably what he's looking for. Not individually, but I think maybe what we're hoping for out of him is to get to that seventh and and be, be second exclusively behind Wayne Gretzky, which I think that's all you can ask for at this point. Gretzky's numbers are really that absurd. And if you've got a cup of coffee and a, and a lazy Sunday morning, looking up Wayne Gretzky's stats, which I had the pleasure to do this morning, and not that I haven't before, it's just been a minute. It's worth your time because I just don't know that we've seen many athletes dominate a single, a team sport individually in that way. I mean, we just haven't. And, you know, the, the tiger run in golf, it's an individual sport, of course, but there's, there's dozens of players out there with him doing the same thing. You know, that was a hell of a run. And that's, that's kind of where we were with Gretzky on the ice. And in our little small truncated version of that right now, where everything is against him, McDavid is showing flashes of that. That's the only point to make here. And certainly he capped off another version of that evidence this year. So what about contractually? Where is he? He sits atop the league. Now, it's kind of an NBA-type situation where you can only make a certain percentage of what the cap is when you sign your contract. So there's, there's percentage rules to how this works. So he maxed out three years ago when he signed his contract, $12.5 million a year. It still sits atop the league. Eventually, it's going to get eclipsed here. He signed eight for 100 three years ago. So he's got five years, $58 million left. Nothing we can really do about that. There's no restructures. It's, it's a very simple um, financial league and how that works. So he, he made the, the most he could make at that time. Um, the eight-year contract is, was the max length, which allowed Edmonton to have the lowest cap hit possible because you, you, know, you, you divide by eight and that's your cap hit over those years. So it's basically as much as he could have done three years ago. He'll be that way for five more years. Age 28 is when he, when this contract expires. So given good health, you know, there's another hundred million left in this guy. He, he, he does this all over again in Ovechkin type style in terms of how Ovechkin did basically two max contracts all in the same city. And they eventually did get to the finish line there. It took forever in Washington, but they did it. So that's how I'm going to leave you here. I mentioned at the top here that Edmonton is the, the number two seed in the North division right now, the Canadian division, I should say. Um, everybody's going to have to raise a level. You know, McDavid only has 17 playoff appearances in terms of actual games played in the postseason. So from a team perspective, Edmonton has not treated him well. We've seen this before with a lot of superstars where, you know, their regular season brilliance and flame out in the postseason for one reason or for another. The Philip Rivers, for a long time, the Peyton Mannings, you know, just the names go on and on, of course, but Dan Marino, of course. But um, that's what's next. So there, there's no question that, from an individual standpoint, this guy doesn't appear to be slowing down. And if he can continue to do this, like I said, the seven scoring titles is kind of the metric that I'm looking for out of him. And maybe can he raise that 1.4 points per game, which is an astounding number to start your career. But can Edmonton actually raise some hell in the postseason? Can they, can they attach winning to this individual resume? Because Gratsky certainly had it. Lemieux certainly had it. 
you know, many of these superstars in hockey do have that. It's not just, man, they scored like hell or they played like, like a bat out of hell. You know, they, they raised the cup or they had MVPs and heart trophies and blah, blah, blah. There's a lot to this. So there's a whole other side of McDavid's story that needs to be written and hopefully will be written at least once or twice with Edmonton's postseason brilliance. There's a chance for that this year is all I'm saying. It's worth giving a watch. It's worth taking a look at, if not just to see him, but also, you know, can his, can this team kind of put it together right now and start to develop into annual contenders while this guy is a under contract and B doing something that we just don't see certainly not in this era and really not since the mid nineties and Lemieux. Uh, the names are, he, he is on the Mount Rushmore already in just six seasons. He truly is. He's fifth in my opinion. Gretzky, Lemieux, Howe, Orr, and McDavid, but he's there. I mean, these numbers, they prove this is enough context for you to at least have the conversation of, all right, this guy's on the track here. He's, he's well down the road. You know, it's not a small sample size, like I mentioned. So A, can he continue and signs say yes? And B, can this, can you add winning to this recipe? And that's something to watch. It's that time of year. So give Edmonton a watch, give McDavid a watch and when, if, and when the time comes probably next season, get your butt in a, in an arena and see this kid live while he's still uh, in his prime here, because it is magic on ice. Truly. I I would not tell you that I would not steer you wrong in this direction. I'm not going to sit out here, you know, sit here and promote hockey every single show. This kid specifically just stands out. He's special and you can see it with your own two eyes. Okay. Let's talk some football with Scott. Scott, happy Monday. Let's get nerdy with the NFL. Um, I gave you some homework a couple of weeks ago, right around draft time, as we were kind of just breaking down the movement, whether it's who gets drafted where, but also who trades up. And not just teams who trade up, but who, who are they trading up for specifically in terms of positions? Is it positions of power? Is it maybe positions that don't have as much depth in these prospect pools and you're, you're going up to get the top tight end because there's, you know, really only three in this draft that mean, mean a damn. I'm thinking kind of fantasy, right? (laughs) I'm thinking fantasy. If I'm taking George Kittle in the first round, it's because Kelsey got kept in the, and you know, the three through 10 are seventh and eighth round picks. Is that the, the the kind of uh, data that you spit out here, or is it going to be much of the same? Where trade ups are for quarterbacks, for people who can hit the quarterback, for people who can stop the quarterback from being hit, and from people who can intercept the quarterback? Because that's my guess that that honestly, those f- four to five position groups dominate all facets of the draft right now. That's really how I look at it. Because I think Scott, if a team is lost, like let's just say you know how it is in fantasy. You got a guy in front of you who does a ton of research and he always steals your guy, <laughs> you know? So let's say you're Cousin Dan. Yeah. So you're sitting on, on an edge rusher who's got an injury and you know, he's going to drop to you. And then the team right in front of you, the Ravens take him right in front of you. And you're, now you're deer in the headlights on the clock. You're going to one of these positions. Let's go to our big board and find the best available cornerback because we're no, we got no problem taking him in the first round. That's probably going to be to our benefit. Is that what your data says? Is that the kind of player that teams trade up for, Scott? Yeah, and there's been an actual shift compared to the... So what I did is I looked at 2012 to 2016, and then I looked at 2017 through 2021. So I compared... 
a five-year span, the last five years versus five years before that to see if there's been any shift in um, how teams are trading up for a specific position. And there was some interesting results that came out, especially with what we've been talking about over the past year or two with, um, you know, guys rushing versus guys protecting the quarterback, um, guys catching the ball. Uh, so real quick, um, I'm going to start with round one because I, I, I broke this out into round one, round ones through three, and then rounds one through seven, just to see overall how everything panned out round one from 12 to 16, the highest trade ups was for a quarterback, but it was six times compared to the last five years, 17 to 21 quarterbacks were traded up for 10 times. So we went almost double the amount of quarterbacks that have been traded up for in the last five years. So there's more of an emphasis. And now I was only able to go back to 2012 because that's where I really started mapping every pick within the draft. But it just happens to be that it spans all these rookie scale years, too. So it shows that teams have realized that the quarterback element, as much as it is a need, they're willing to trade up for it because of the value with that rookie scale. Um, Do you think it's and- just cyclical though, Scott? And because I, we, we can tangent a little bit on the quarterback position specifically. I've been thinking about this too, because I, I mean, we've been doing this now for over a decade and, you know, from, you know, that 12 to 16 mark that you're a range that you're, you're speaking to there. We had a lot of just savvy vets, you know, Eli, Peyton, Brady, Rogers, Breeze, Rivers. I'm, I'm missing plenty. We had established Romo was was a longtime quarterback at that time. I can keep going, I'm sure. But uh, teams had veteran quarterbacks in place that at that at that specific moment, they weren't going to do anything about, you know, the, the Steelers weren't going to give up on Ben no matter what. Uh, you know, can, uh, Dalton was still a fixture. And you know what I'm talking about, Scott? The, like the idea of going back to the well in, in round one for a quarterback, it was off the table. Now, now my question to you is this, now that you've looked at a bunch of data, is it just a situation where the league was in that in that window? And many of those kids who were drafted high at one point had grown up, and that was just the phase of the league we were in? Or is there truly been a shift where you could see now that a career like a Roethlisberger may not even happen anymore. You know, is Josh Allen going to be Ben Roethlisberger and, and, and a fixture in the Buffalo Bills organization for 15 years? Or is this rookie wage scale now such a thing and, and is, is building through the draft now such a thing that at some point in time, the Bills are going to have to say, uh, you know what? We're not going to go from 40 a year to 50 a year. We're just going to cut bait. And we're going to let him go and play for the Eagles for the last five years of his career and blah, blah, blah. And we're going back to the well. Do you understand what I'm saying? Like, I, I the, absolutely the, do. The elite franchise quarterback that everybody begs for. Have we seen that tenure come down because of this? I think that is a, a viable chance for that to happen. I think what ended up happening is, you know, the beginning of that rookie scale, teams didn't really realize how valuable it was going to be in the long run. And now that we have a 10 year sample, you have that overlap. Like you said, a man, the, the Mannings, the, the Ben Roethlisberger's, the, 
um, Matt Ryan's. You have this overlap of these veteran quarterbacks that are, that, and some of them have been paid so much, like Matt Ryan, where they're they're pushing things down the line so much that they they were not able to necessarily realize the advantage going into this rookie scale in that first five years of how well it it, it was going to work out for teams, and now. You're seeing teams like the Green Bay Packers last year trading up for Jordan Love. You're seeing teams that they're they're realizing how much of a value that the quarterback position is in addition to the rookie wage scale. Because you got to remember, we had quarterbacks like Sam Bradford that were signing astronomical contracts as their rookie scale. And they were negotiating these rookie scales before the, the draft even happened. Now... They know exactly when they're drafting these guys, even, you know, when scouts are doing their work in January and in February, they know a ballpark idea of what the quarterback cap and what the four year uh, outlook is going to be for that quarterback. So they can plan four five, six years in advance because they pretty much have a, a slotted value, whereas before the draft or before the rookie scale, they didn't know this. So those first few years of yeah. quarterbacks being drafted, they didn't realize how valuable and how important the quarterback position is. So I they think did. that's why we're they just weren't team. allocating the cap properly for it is all in my yeah, opinion. Yes. Um, yeah, they definitely did. It's always been important, but you're right. It's now, it's now publicly as important as it's but, ever been. But, but per- one more point, Scott, because this is a big year for it. Teams have also now figured out that dead cap doesn't matter to them. Whether that means a restructure, pushing it down, whether it means void years, whether it means moving on, Carson Wentz, Jared Goff, Matt Stafford, right? It it doesn't matter. Whatever we have to do to further our quarterback position, there is no price, I think is what we've learned this year. Yeah, and you're right with the dead cap. The cap is fluid, and like you said last last time, you know, it's... You can manipulate cap however you want. And with that being said, in our conversation with Super Bowls and getting to the Super Bowl or Super Bowl winners and and what the cap is being, teams are realizing that if they can strike early and get a quarterback that is going to be franchise changing, Mm -hmm. they probably have a better chance of getting to the Super Bowl in a six-year span of a rookie scale versus – a veteran on a let's talk about this let's talk about this because i took i i I did some debriefing after that conversation and i'm kind of glad we're back on it here in this regard in terms of is the rookie wage scale going to be a long-term problem or is it going to do its job for this league you know we're we're under a 10-year cba now so it's going to be very very hard to see the league make sweeping changes at any point in time in the next two decades let's be honest but Let's say that this this path continues, Scott, and you know it becomes a problem for veteran quarterbacks to get their third contract. You know, can't you see that being a very real thing, <laughs> right? Oh, absolutely, a very very real thing. The conversation about excluding veteran quarterbacks from the salary cap really needs to happen, in my opinion, and it doesn't mean every quarterback. There has to be some indicators. You know what I mean? There has to be some qualifiers to get to this level, whether it's years of experience. I mean, my God, we're paying people based off of Pro Bowls right now. So you can't tell me this is too petty for the NFL. You can't. Okay, you've just made a sweeping change with with your quarterback position, basically, your fifth-year option, um, based on basically a fan vote. 
So if the argument's going to be made by 30 teams, 30 plus teams over the next decade, that it is no longer viable to carry a $45 million cap hit for our quarterback because a, they don't win championships. The data's there. B it's just too difficult to build a, a solid roster around them. You know, we want to pay four to five superstars, not just one. We, that's kind of the NBA's problem they got into for a couple of years there. Then there needs to be a real discussion about two, one of two things. A, either really ballooning the cap so that there is no leverage point for teams. No, no, no. You can't, in New England, you can't say that anymore. Okay. You can't run up against the cap anymore and try to squeeze dollars out of your players because, the, you know, the league is kind of nickel and diming the situation. I don't want that to happen because then you're going to give the ability for the entire roster to have recklessness. I say, if the discussion we're having right now, Scott, is as real inside of the front office as it is to us here, which is that the quarterback is on a mountain over here, and the rest of the of the team positionally is on a in a different stratosphere. It's how it looks, feels, seems, smells, tastes. Then the salary cap is going to have to start start feeling like that too. And like I said, we there should be a set a set of qualifiers where. If you've been with one franchise and you're getting to the third contract, that there is a either a levy, a significant veterans discount, or just flat out, that player doesn't account for the league salary cap. They just don't. Okay, if you're going to dish out forty million dollars of cash per year, then you're going to be able to you're going to be able to discount yourself from a cap perspective. Um, I'm all for this. I'm all for this now, and maybe not right now. Because I think right now that's it's not a pandemic, it's not it's not a league wide issue, but the writing's on the wall. I mean, and and again, I don't want to I don't want to knock the fact that this could just be cyclical. This could just could be could be the valley coming down from a big hill we were on. Like I said, there was a five years ago, more than half the league was savvy veterans on third contracts at the quarterback position, and now more than half the league is going to be in a rookie wage scale. So is it just it's just a peak and valley kind of thing? Are we going to bounce back up when when Allen and Mayfield and Jackson and Mahomes and just keep going? When these guys all have, you know, second contracts and sometimes third contracts, are we going to be back in that everybody's everybody's a high paid quarterback conversation or you know, is half of the half the league going to say, "Well, I don't have Mahomes, so let's just get rid of our guy and go find another one and maybe he'll be the next Mahomes." You understand what I'm saying? I do. I understand it completely. Um, and, and that's a great question. It may be that this is right now because of the teams realizing how valuable the quarterbacks yeah. and they're, they're, they're trading up for them. And we're seeing what I'm trying to say is maybe the Josh Allen and the Mahomes and the, those guys make Baker Mayfield, Lamar Jackson. Maybe those guys are the big Ben the Peyton Mannings of the future where they're going to have a long span. And then it, those teams will just have to recycle after the fact um, that, that is a, that is a possibility. I pulled up the quarterbacks that have been uh, traded up for yeah. just to see, you know, from 12 to 16, these are the quarterbacks that have been traded up for Robert Griffin. The third uh, we've got Johnny Manziel. We've got Jared Goff. Wentz and then Paxson Lynch. And then recently, and then recently Trubisky. we've got Trubisky, Mahomes, Watson, 
Sam Darnold, Josh Allen, Josh Rosen, Trey Lance, uh, Lamar Jackson, Trey Lance, Justin Fields, and that's the and Jordan Love. Wow. So, <laughs> how did you forget Jordan Love? Um, I don't know what to make of that. I'm not going to knock up team for trading up for a quarterback at all. I mean, it's not even a conversation to have. No, especially when it's a 50, people say it's a 50, 50 chance, but that is still better than a 25% chance of hitting. I I don't know all the percentages that everyone you hear says it's 50, 50 on a quarterback, but I'd like to hear what the percentage, you know, for guys that are smarter and run more deeper analytics. what, What is the, what is the percentage of hitting on a wide receiver or a, an offensive lineman? It's got to be lower. Defensive... It's got to be lower than the quarterback. Right. So what you absolutely would trade up for a 50% chance of hitting. So on who, a quarterback. What, what position is next then? So in the, the next position would be from 12 to 16, it was tied with five trade ups of linebacker, wide receiver and a corner. Now it has shifted. This is exactly what I expected. (laughs) Shifted to exactly what we've been talking about. Number two, with a tie for six trade-ups each, defensive end and offensive tackle. Okay. Okay. And and then to finish off the top three, back in 2012 to 16, the fourth high, uh, four trade-ups was a running back. That's not the case. Now, in 17 to 21, it's been a wide receiver and a linebacker that have been tied for four times. And this is just first round. I'm not even sure we need to go outside of the first round because (laughs) this is because this is the the hardest move to make. You know what I mean? It's the most kind of capital to give up to move up in the first round. So, yeah, I, I, I looked at one through three as a combined entity just to see because we know day two and three are, you know, you have a lot of trade ups, especially on round two right at the beginning there's always a flurry of of trade-up so real quick as an overview round one through three from this last five years number one was offensive tackle with 21 trade-ups linebacker 17 and then wide receiver was 16 and then quarterbacks 13 so you had three extra trade-ups in that second really interesting scott and 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 do you have right there by chance how many of this was like top three like trading up into the top three because isn't isn't that Uh, like a whole different conversation? It is. I'd have to rerun those numbers. I just have it. I mean, certainly Wentz Goff, you know, I I can name a few off the top there, but actually that might be it. Having heard your list, but the uh, Griffin was number two back in 2012. True. Um, But look, the, that's the conversation. That's the difference between, will quarterbacks be devalued like the running backs? Okay. Cause that's kind of the conversation I'm starting to have here is, you know, why would you ever pay a third contract to a quarterback versus why would you ever pay a second contract to a running back? Here's the difference because the, the converse to the, to, to paying the running back is to going into the second or third round and finding a replacement. That's not how you pick a quarterback. Okay. Replacing your quarterback, like we can we can talk Jordan Love to a blue in the face, but Jordan Love was traded up to be the number twenty six pick. Was it twenty six? I think it was twenty six, which means he was probably supposed to be like the thirty fourth pick. 
<laughs> you know what I mean? Like he was mm-hmm. probably not even supposed to be a first rounder. He right. was a fringe first rounder. That's not where you find starting quarterbacks. It's where you find projects. It's where you find guys with an injury or a, or some kind of red flag or just that dude isn't as talented as the top three quarterbacks in this draft class. That's where you find that guy. My point is this. If you're the Bills and you're contending for the next eight years, which means you're drafting 25 to 32 over the next eight years, you're not finding Trevor Lawrence. Okay, You're not even finding Sam Darnold. You're finding Lamar Jackson, Jordan Love. You're finding the back end of a, of a quarterback draft class and the only real way to get up and replace Josh Allen with another Josh Allen type chance is a, either a future forfeiting trade up. I mean, we're talking three first round picks at least to go from the twenties into the, you know, single digits, three to four first round picks based on what we're dealing with right now, or you tank, you tank. You pick a year where Josh Allen gets hurt or you trade Josh Allen and then tank. Do you understand what I'm saying? Like it, it is not, it is not replacing a running back, which you can do immediately. But if, if the Minnesota Vikings decided they weren't going to pay Delvin cook, they would have let him walk to free agency this March. They would have gone back into the draft this May and they would have gone with a second round pick and selected a running back. That's what they would have done. You can't do that with a quarterback. And hope to have any kind of success. You're talking less than 10% hit rate from outside of there. I mean, honestly, outside of the top 12 is where the numbers just crash for starting quarterbacks on average, of course. So it's just not as easy to do it. So no, we're not going to get anywhere close to running back level with this quarterback devaluation. But, But we might get to a point where some of these veterans just don't get paid because they're not superstars. And I think that's a problem. I think that's a problem. Good. Yeah, I agree. I, I updated my script real quick to see top three since you brought it up. So from 12 to 16 top three picks that were traded up for, there were five of them, three of which were quarterbacks, Griffin, Goff and Wentz. And then the other two were Trent Richards, uh, Richardson Ooh. and Deion Jordan. <laughs> and then 17 to 21, there were only three trade-ups into the top three. Yeah. Trubisky, Sam Darnold, Trey Lance. Boy, that doesn't have good metrics for Trey Lance. Um, okay. All right. That's uh, Look, that's pretty good, though. That's pretty good because that's, that's where you find those guys. There's no question about it. I mean, it hasn't worked out of late, but that, that's the kind of power you should be trying to get but- inside this draft. But you're you're right with the financial compensation part. But I I find it really interesting that having done the legwork here, the shift from the first five that twelve yeah. to sixteen five to this five as far as the quarterback, linebacker, wide receiver to the shift of quarterback, defensive end, offensive tackle. You know, we're we're seeing teams are taking that chance to go up and get either that pass rusher or that offensive tackle. Now, when we put them in, we have them in, I had to group linebackers and outside linebackers and inside linebackers all as linebackers. So Mm -hmm. now with the last five years, some of those outside linebackers may be considered the edge. So it might be, you know, I'd have to go in and really parse if it's an edge or not to do that. So I, I kept it 
plain Jane for, for these purposes. But there is a definite shift in the last five years of where, in, at least in the first round here, we're going for that quarterback, we're going for that rusher, and we're going for the uh, the offensive tackle to protect our offensive fly, or our quarterback because that's what we're trading up for or we traded up for be- beforehand. It makes sense. I mean, it, it's really tough to figure it out. You know, just how much of this should you be relying on to build a contender? You know, I mean, how much... You know, we talk about in the NBA so much, Scott, and we're actually, we're actually going to mention this a little bit at the end of the show, you know, just how there's a point in the NBA where you can be too young, a significant drop-off where you're, yes. you've built through the draft so much that you don't have enough experience to win the championship. It's just how that league works, and it has for a long, long time. Um and which is why LeBron wants all veterans on his always. team and doesn't want to. Deal He's not with just helping out his friends. Players. He trusts the experience in those guys. He trusts Correct. those guys' ability. Yeah, when the going gets tough, it, it makes sense. But look at the is you know can we bring any of that into the NFL conversation right now? I mean, doesn't Brady's win hold a hell of a lot of weight here? A hell well, does, of a lot of weight. Well, not not only the win, but the fact that. I, I'm really interested to see where Tampa Bay goes this year yes. because they brought in all these vets back, all this experience back. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, yes, Mike Evans and Godwin and, and those guys. But they, they were, were established. Drafted, but they, right. And that's they where I was going. They were established. They're in, the, they have the experience and you brought in that vet quarterback yeah. to just plug in and go. And it worked in that case. Now, if you're, you know, Ch- Chicago, or the Jets, and you've got these rookie quarterbacks, and we've talked to it to to are blue in the face. You know, if they if those teams do not have offensive linemen to protect those quarterbacks that are there, it, it's a moot point trading up to go for that quarterback because they're going to get killed. Look at what happened to Burrow. You know, he 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 got injured. He was out the rest of the season. It, it, we saw what happened with Sam Darnold in in New York. They didn't have the offensive line plus some weapons. I'm hoping it works out in Carolina for him to show what he really can do. And, you know, I, I looked not only at positionally, I know the homework that you gave me was take a look at positional. I, I looked at teams trading up and, you know, from 12 to 16. Tell me those teams, because I want Min- to see where those teams are in terms of current football. Well, it, Minnesota had traded up five times oh. in from 12 to 16. There were eight teams that traded up twice and 12 teams that traded up once. There were Minnesota uh, traded up five times and acquired their quarterback via free agency. Yes. That's not a good recipe. (laughs) And and multiple times because they had Sam Bradford before that. They had Teddy Bridgewater before that. You're right. Trader or free agency. You're right. In the last five, in the last five years, 17 to 21 green Bay, Philadelphia and San Francisco have traded up three times. Nine teams traded up twice, 13 teams traded up once. Um, and, and when you do the math there, eight teams traded up, did, or eight teams did not trade up in, in the last five years, as opposed to 11 teams did not trade up from 12 to 16. So more teams in the last five years by, by three, but still, it's, I think it's significant. Um, I like your, you your total draft up. numbers here, Scott, because there is a bit of an uptick. 
in terms of the seven rounds or over the five year ranges you have, it's just slightly up, you know, um, in terms yeah, but of one or two overall, it makes a big difference. Yeah, it's it, it's slightly up, but how about these as the, as the teams over, over a total draft, the last five years, here's your top trade-ups, the 49ers, the mm-hmm. Patriots, the bills, the Raiders, the chiefs and the saints. Uh, there's a lot of contenders there. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> there's a lot of contenders there. Um, not, that those metrics don't necessarily jive with your first round metrics, which means that these guys are, are saying fourth through seventh don't matter to us. We're going up in the middle of these drafts to find diamonds in the rough. We're, we're okay punting on the last couple of rounds to make sure that our third and, and second, third and fourth round picks are home runs. And I think that's the way to operate. I think, I think Scott internally, many of these front offices feel like this is a four round draft. And that's how they do their homework. And we talked about how those late rounds really are just UDFAs at that point. Long snappers, you know what I mean? Right. Special yeah. team guys, multi-versatile guys. Um, and, and I'm not discounting. If you're a fantastic six-rounder, I'm absolutely not shitting on you right now. I'm just saying there's, there is massive focus, attention, you know, attention on, the, on the first four rounds. And I think these trades would probably speak to that, don't you? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And I, th- I kind of find New England... Being at the top of this list kind of interesting for how much we've killed, how bad they've drafted for the fact that they've traded but, up. But what's the, the top? What, put those two points together, Scott. What do you make of that? Are they are they doing too much? Do they need to sit on their hands a little more? Because they are bad or, drafters. Admittedly, they're or, bad drafters. Or, so, but how how are they bad drafters? But also the second highest trade up team in the league. Those things have to be linked. Yeah, or their scouting department is subpar <laughs> compared to the other. I hate to throw them under the bus, but you know, if, if that is the case, they they're trading up this much and they're for missing. the wrong guy. Yeah, exactly, exactly. It it, it, it doesn't. And again, doesn't we said this sense. last week: trading or drafting thirtieth is freaking hard. So nothing against them. It should be hard to draft when you're the Patriots and you've been this successful for twenty years. It should be difficult. You know, there's just not 30 guys in the draft that are good and certainly not, you know, pick 60, pick 90, whatever it's going to be for them. But they're trying to get to pick 27. They're trying to get to pick 50, you know, trading up in these mid rounds. Just bad luck, bad scouts. Yeah. Or is it a little bit of overthinking? You know what I mean? Do they just need to let, let the guys fall to them like the Chargers did this year, you know? Yeah, and I'd I'd have to go back or we'd have to go back and look and see what regimes in the last five years, you know, Buffalo has sort of established themselves. Cleveland, they were sort of a train wreck, but sort of are starting to establish themselves. I mean, you've got Kansas City in there, so you had Andy Reid coming in, and then, you know, so going back five years, we'd have to see where teams had resided as far as their front office to see but the fact that we're seeing contenders here it it, it's no surprise because of what i just said with trading up for quarterbacks and all of that you have buffalo you have kansas city you have cleveland they didn't trade up for baker mayfield he wasn't on the list but they took a quarterback you've got uh the la rams who they traded up for golf in there so they've made that pick you know, so 
it's no surprise that you have these teams that have hit for the most part. Golf got a, a second contract. Seattle was fifth with trade ups in the last five years at eleven. So you had Wilson. I don't. I don't think they traded up for him. I have to go double check. But they. These are all teams that have taken quarterbacks relatively recent in this rookie scale, and they are now hitting on however they've been drafting overall. That's right. That's right. It it, it gets easier when you find your quarterback. Is, is one way to look at it. Everything gets easier. It, it does, but as you just alluded to five minutes ago, some of these teams are going to find it not easy when you get a Josh Allen extension, a Baker Mayfield extension. You're going to get into Patrick Mahomes' $45 million cap. Again, I know the cap gets fluid, and they can move that around if they want to move it. You have Miami with with Tua. We're, we'll see where that goes. Yeah. You know, we're seeing... He's going to Green Bay for Aaron Rodgers, Scott. That's where he's going. We're, but what, but we're seeing, we're going to see what happens to these teams. It'll be really interesting to see if we run this in five years, where these teams are in the next five years as far as trading up. Are they still trading up and being aggressive? Because these are teams that should be winning, are going to be in the slot that New England has been in for the last 10 years. Um, let's use the bills. I've been doing some clicking around here while you're talking, because this is an, it's, it's going in an interesting direction. And I want to finish on this. Um, the bills have a lot of stake in this matter because of the quarterback situation. I mean, just a disaster for 20 years. And then they hit on Allen, who was the third, third or fourth, fourth, third, no Mayfield, Darnold, Rosen, Allen, Jackson, right? In that order? I believe that's right. I think he was yeah, the... I think you're right. Okay, he's the... F- no, he- no, it was Allen before Darnold, Rosen. Darnold, Allen, Rosen. Darnold, Allen, Rosen. Okay. So he's the third quarterback. Okay? Not the top two. Seventh overall, right? Top two. So he's the third quarterback in that class. In the Brandon Bean era, and I I give Brandon Bean a heck of a lot of credit here for a lot of things, and I guess I haven't given him enough credit for this. I'm going to go round by round for you with Brandon Bean and the Buffalo Bills. He got here in 2017. His first first first-round pick was Tredavious White. So good start. (laughs) Okay, They decided, by the way, if you remember in 2017, they had about $91 million of dead cap. They had moved on from Watkins. They had moved on from Marcel Darius. They had dumped so much of the bad contracts into the either into the sewers or onto other teams. And they just decided for it to be a purge year. So their first pick was not a quarterback. It was not an edge rusher. It was a cornerback, a good one. He, they've, they've recently signed. He's going to be there for five plus years more. Um, 18 then of course, was the Josh Allen year. So now you've got your quarterback. Now you, now you think you have your quarterback. You don't know it yet. Outside of Allen, Scott, every other Brandon Bean first-round pick, defense. Every other one. If I go to second-rounders, edge rushers, two offensive tackles, and a wide receiver. If I go to the third round, here's where it gets extremely interesting a defensive tackle, a tight end, and two running backs. 
in Brandon Bean's yep. tenure in the third round. Tell me that doesn't sound exactly right. Those are the positions that have been devalued, it, literally in front of our faces over the past five years. You can get a defensive tackle at a vet minimum right now. There are starting defensive tackles waiting for contracts right now that will play for $990,000 and $850,000 on your cap right now. So you, there's no need to go and get that guy, number 21 overall. Just isn't, unless they're Aaron Donald-type players, and then you're getting them at three. So that's his third rounder. And here's his fourth rounder, a wide receiver and a cornerback. Depth. I want my CB2 and my WR2. That's Gabe Davis and Taron Johnson. That's literally what those guys are for this team. It, it just makes sense. There's a, there's a freaking plan to everything he's done, whether it's been staggering contracts, whether it's been building in different capacities. And the point of me bringing this up, Scott, and I'll go back to the first round, Josh Allen and three, and three defensive players. A starting inside linebacker, Tremaine Edmonds, who's just got his fifth-year option. He's going to get a big-time extension soon. Ed Oliver, which they've had some issues with injury-wise, but he's a, he's a pass-rushing defensive tackle. And Tredavious Way at a shutdown corner. And Josh Allen. That's your first-round picks. Um, where's the offense coming from? Where's it coming from? Trade for digs. Trades, free agency, small contracts, Cole Beasley, Emmanuel Sanders, Stefan Diggs, uh, Jacob Hollister. The entire interior of the offensive line was free agency. Small contracts. Frank, Frank Gore, Chris Ivory. Plug and play, baby. Plug and yep. play. There, there's a methodology to this. It's not an accident. It's not an accident. Now, some people can't do it this way. Some, some, some teams have to go the other complete other way. You know, maybe they were handed, maybe a GM sits down in a chair and he was handed a pretty good defense. You know, I would say Cleveland. That's a pretty good, you know, I'd say when Andrew Parrish sat down, he looked at the defense and said, hey, what are we doing here? Why aren't we winning more games with just this defense alone? What is wrong? And it was probably depth. And he's fixed that problem this year. And I, I made them a Super Bowl contender this year because of it. I think, the, I think they've done everything right over the past 18 months. But you just sit here and look at a, at a draft by draft, round for round of a GM's tenure and if it's all over the place, something's probably gone wrong because he's fixing holes. He's fixing mistakes he's already made. But if there's a methodology and you can see a positional breakdown like this, it probably means A, he has a plan, and B, that plan is working. It's successful. And you're, they're just going to stick to it on an annual basis. And they'll, they'll, you know, when somebody gets too expensive, and that may be the case here soon for Buffalo, they're going to have to flex a little bit whether it's with a free agent, whether it's with a trade. And we've seen that become a, a more powerful vice for these contenders. Um, but I, I think it's very interesting to, to follow this track specifically as maybe a model of going almost literally from worst to first. And that's, uh, that's kind of the goal with a lot of these teams. What's Jacksonville going to do now? Or what's Jacksonville going to do? Because Jacksonville yeah, exactly. has a couple of defensive pieces, not a lot, but a couple they do have some some offensive weapons that they've either drafted or acquired via free agency. They do have a decent left tackle. The Bills did too. Deion Dawkins wasn't a superstar. He's been he's been conformed and and comprised into a tenable option. Now been extended to be a left tackle in this league. Cam Robinson could be the same thing for Jacksonville. So now it's it's Urban Meyer's turn to formulate a system, formulate a plan, positionally speaking, to bring. Trevor Lawrence, who's a markedly better quarterback than Josh Allen in terms of everything we can read and see it with our eyes, right? But how do we bring him from year one to year three, 
bring this team into a situation where he can be successful for us, not, not vice versa. Mm-hmm. It's, it's how it works. And it's how it's, it's why we're seeing rookie rookie wage scale quarterbacks in the Super Bowl. That's why, because there's front offices that have a, have a game plan. They stick to that game plan and they don't, they're not reckless with it. None of these players I just mentioned for Buffalo, Scott, the bills, the bills didn't have to give up almost any draft capital to get these guys. Almost none. They weren't swinging up for the fences for Mitch Trubisky. You know what I mean? They weren't doing it. So there's a little bit of luck, but there's a lot of strategic planning as well. It's part of the game, and that's part of the stuff we love to follow for sure. Well, and keep in mind, Goff was in a Super Bowl. Wentz was in a Super they Bowl. They were there. Well, he was he was injured, asterisk, but he yeah. was he was there. Asterix. So those were sort of. I guess you could call them hits, you know, because they did get to where they needed to on that rookie scale or right after it, you know, now you've got, you know, if Allen can get there or Mayfield can get there, Mahomes was able to get there, you know, it just validates more for these teams to take the chance on trading up for these quarterbacks because of that value. You're getting a cap hit of five to six million dollars as opposed to 30 million dollars of the Aaron Rodgers and the Russell Wilsons and and, and if a team is not willing to restructure that to bring it down to a more realistic cap for the team to bring in that depth for our last show one of those teams is going to have to to do it to shut us up about it because it's a real thing it is. It's a real Absolutely. thing. You think that your quarterback is good enough to be able to handle a $35 million cap hit and win with the team he has. And we're telling you, the data says there's a 0% chance of that happening. <laughs> That's what we're telling you. It has not happened yet. So Russell, Aaron, you want to go win? Kirk Cousins, you want to go win? Restructure. Not now. It's too late now. I mean, there's nobody out left unless unless you're acquiring via trade. There's, there's no point in doing it. But restructure in February. Give your give your team a chance. Do it. Because I mean, the data the data completely favors the fact that you got to be lower third in terms of the cap. And by the way, I'll say it again. I'll say it till I'm blue in the face. Patrick Mahomes is forty five million a year. He's getting a ton of cash in his bank account, but he does not qualify as a veteran contract quarterback yet because his cap hit is like seven million. Right. Okay? He has restructured. He kept it low year one. He restructured year two. He is basically still a rookie quarterback in terms of what his contract says and because of how they were able to manipulate the cap. Everybody could be, okay? Everybody could be. Matt Ryan could be if they wanted to, all right, if they haven't restructured him six times. But um, that's that's all we're saying. There is, there, there's data points. There's trends. There, there's a reasoning behind all this. So it, it's fascinating to think about the process of going to get a quarterback in the draft. It's fascinating to think about the plan of building when you have that quarterback through the draft. And now of course it's who's going to be the exception to the rule. Who's going to get into that second contract and have the cut. Cause it's not Dak. Dak's high. <laughs> Dak's been high for three years with the franchise tags. Um, and now this monster contract, you know, who's going to take the next step and win with maximum dollars maximum cap is it possible yeah and i'll add and finish off on this which one of these rookie scale quarterbacks that are going to be up for these extensions are going to follow yeah the tom brady model 
Well, that's what I'm saying. That's what well, I'm saying. I'm saying what, but I'm saying not going for that maximum dollar, yeah. not going for the 45, not going for the 35. Who's going to go for the 25? Because 25, you know, million times five years is still a lot of money. Yes, $45 million is more. But if you really want to win and your agent and your team is in your ear saying, if you really want to win, you're going to have to do this. I want to see Scott, is this, is this conversation good for the league though? Let me, let me, let me switch this question. We'll finish on this. Does the NFL care that it's hard to have a quarterback cap hit fit? Is it better for the, it was, is it better for the league to have Aaron Rodgers or to a tongue of Iola right now from a marketing well, Aaron, brand standpoint? Well, Aaron Rodgers because he's always in the news because of what's been going on and no. the well well because of the contract conversation of you know same thing was with Julio Jones and all the uh, you know Russell Wilson can't be traded until June first so we're gonna have a month of conversation that come up here and there whenever there's a is it a better stiff, to have Kirk Cousins or or Justin Herbert Justin Herbert okay. Are you almost always going to trend towards the young guy? Mm. Is that how the league would think too? Is new always better? More merch, more branding, fresh take, fresh look. You understand what I'm saying? I, I, I do. Like, are we ever actually going to get to the point where, where they're going to take care of these veteran quarterbacks anymore? Or is, is going back into the, into the draft pool actually a better brand decision for the NFL? Because if it is, we're going to be in trouble here soon. <laughs> I think I think it is better for the NFL from a brand aspect. But again, Tom Brady breaks that mold because he was the top selling jerseys, top yeah. selling merch, like we talked about a couple. I think we have to uh, put him in his own stratosphere, though. That's why I, I, I didn't mention him. Well, I, and I think we're at that point because I, I'm going through my head of other players right now. Right, who else matters? And, Russell, does Russell matter? He matters because he's the topic of conversation right now. But outside of that, if he wasn't saying, I want to have go to these four teams in a trade, uh-huh. probably not. It's going to be the Trevor Lawrence's, the. I know. The, off, the offseason conversations Herbert really drive this league right now, don't they? It, it really does. It's a bad spot for veteran quarterbacks. It really is. Because if we're getting to the point where these numbers exist, over 30 years, because this is about 20 years, right? The numbers we've, we've posted, then teams are just going to start to say, we can't, we can't take on your cap anymore. Can't do it. No, there's no, there's no, it's not a good winning recipe to take on your cap anymore. So you can either take Tom Brady money, cut this thing down by 20% and we'll give you a new signing bonus every two years. And maybe that's the way it goes. That's not a bad way to live. Um, so that we can continually make your cap fluid or, we're going to move on from you and we'll let the Raiders or, you know, some other team kind of go with, with the old school antiquated route with the quarterback. And we're going back into the draft floor. We're going with the second contract on a second round quarterback that fell by the wayside, whatever it's going to be. Um, but I think you're right. And, you know, I, I worry about this a lot in all sports, the franchise player, you know, the Eli Manning, the, the Mike Trout, you know, the player that can sit with the franchise for 20 years. 
and be happy and be above average and, and be on a hall of fame track and everything is good. It's good for the league. It's good for the team. It's good for the player. I don't know. If, I don't know where that's going. You know, if, if Rogers leaves and Russell will leave, if Rogers and Russell both leave next year and Brady has already done it and Peyton did it, you know what I mean? Like we're on this bad track right now at this position specifically. So something to think about for sure that the, the power of the rookie wage scale is affecting everybody. And it's, I think more than anything with the trade-ups, with this phase we're in, this window we're in, where half the league is on it, um, it, it may not be just the trend. It may be something that actually sticks. And there could be a point in time down the road here where it becomes a, an NFLPA situation, you know, an argument for the Players yeah. Association to make to say, hey, we need to come to Jesus moment here so that, <laughs> so that when we get through our rookie contract, you know, do we have to slow play our second contract? So we have to turn it into a bridge contract, sort of say, so that we can get our third contract and it isn't, you know, crushing team caps. Or do we separate the quarterback cap? Or do we balloon the league cap to allow to, to make sure that we can maximize the quarterback cap hits under the league cap? It's just something I think is coming. Um, yeah, the conversation is going to have to yeah, be there. It's coming. It's coming because these kids are all going to grow up. And if they're all this damn good, they're all going to be worth 40 million a year. <laughs> right? It's going to be Burrow, Lawrence. Allen, Mayfield, Jackson. I don't know. I'm missing Herbert. Herbert. Yeah. Mahomes is already there. It's going to be half the league at 40 million a year. Is the cap going to be there? Is the team flexibility going to be there? Who knows? Or is this going to, you know, turn into a a situation where 2040 dead cap is going to be unbelievable. (laughs) Well, and I was just going to say we're, or are we going to find out where you're going to be in a New Orleans Saints situation yeah. where you have to you have to release everybody on your roster and that's not good because you're losing jobs then. Yeah. Yeah. Something to think about for sure. All right, real quick Scott and then we'll get the heck out of here. It is the final week of the NBA regular season. Yes it is. You have a couple of gambles out there that you put out uh, a couple weeks, couple months ago. And they're looking okay. Um, it is not a good time to bet on anything player-wise. <laughs> I'll say that out loud. Uh, I'm, let me be the first to congratulate Nikola Jokic on an MVP. And do not bet it. It's not worth your time. Not even worth a dollar bill. Let me be the first to congratulate LaMelo Ball on Rookie of the Year. Not even worth your dollar. <laughs> let me be the first to congratulate Rudy Gobert on Defensive Player of the Year. <laughs> and apparently, Jordan Clarkson is your sixth man of the year. Yeah, that makes sense. And okay, so all of those are like crazy negatives right now in terms of gambling. Here's the icing on the cake. Who do you think the most improved player of the year is? And can you guess what the odds are? Uh, it's easy if you think. Once you hear the name, Julius, you Julius Randall. It's Julius Randall from the Knicks. Yeah. Here's the odds minus 4,500. <laughs> oh, wow. Uh, I think he's got that one in the bag. Yeah, I think so. Too. Also, he's an all NBA player. So player wise, we're locked in. Now there's some interesting matchups. Um, you know, one seeds in play, play in seeds in play. I'm not going to go down that route. There's NBA podcasts for that, but there's plenty of reasons to watch this final week of the regular season. Let's put it that way. Here's what I want you to do. First off, Scott, I want you to explain this play in tournament. Okay. This playing process for, for mm-hmm. the people that don't like to read <laughs> because it isn't super confusing, but if you can if you just spell it out easily for us, give, give us, give us using the examples of where the Western conference currently stands. 
So Memphis and San Antonio are the 9-10 seed. They would play each other. The Lakers and Golden State are the 7-8 seed. They would play each other. So how this would span out is the 7-8 and eight, Lakers, Golden State, if it ended right now, they would play whoever wins automatically gets the 7 seed. So they get a quote-unquote One and done. Out. One and done. You win, one, you're one in. in. Okay. Not, nine and 10 play. Loser goes home. Winner goes and plays the loser of 7-8. So say the Lakers lost to Golden State. They would play the winner of Memphis, San Antonio. Then the winner of that would go against the number one seed because they would be slotted as the actual eight seed going into the t- the playoffs. So two so, plays seven, one plays eight after it's all said and done. Right. Like and, always. And, and subsequently in the East, Washington in Indiana are 9-10. So say Washington wins, they would go and play the winner of the 7-8 seed, which is currently Boston and Charlotte. Loser would play, in this case, Washington that I said. Winner would go to the 7 seed and play Brooklyn. And then the winner of that uh, Washington, whoever lost Boston Boston and Charlotte, would go and to the eighth seed right now against Philadelphia. Okay. Now, with that being said, I, I, I've heard pros and cons to having this play-in tournament. We've obviously heard LeBron speak up about it because obviously he's in involved. Play. It, <laughs> but I do not remember, for as long as I've been following this, the amount of attention that we've had going yeah, into this final week. So There's it, like three from, teams tanking. Where normally there'd right. be at least a half a dozen, right? It, it, exactly. So the fact that they do have this play in tournament is forcing more teams to play for something at the end. Yeah. Whereas each each conference only has three guys, uh, three teams that are uh, actually out of it. Um, now I, I get it. If you you work to get into the seven eight seed, and you know having a guy having teams that are below 500 but there's always teams that are in the eight seed that are below 500 and if you look at the data there's never been an eight seed that has upset a first seed and you know if it generates revenue which is what the league wants if the they want more eyeballs because you're adding this play-in it's no different than the ncaa adding those Thursday, Friday games to get into, you know, the, the adding to the last four. It's no different than that. It's just, it's generating eyeballs, generating tickets because it's an extra couple games and it's ad revenue. I'm good with it. Here's, here's my only real gripe, Scott. There are, if you're doing the full 10, 10 teams seeding right now, right? 10 in the West, 10 in the East before the play-in tournament happens. We have four teams who are under 500. I mean, Indiana is five games under 500. And there's a chance that they make the postseason. Yes. I, I, I struggle with that. I struggle with that. To me, that means we're probably a little bit too far. We've gone a little bit too far down the conference. Now, you know, if they're bad, they're not going to make it, right? That's what you tell me. If they're bad, they're not going to make it. But there's a chance 
I just don't know. I don't know if I want to see a 33 and 38 Indiana Pacers team playing anybody. Um, and then the other gripe, I, I, I think I've actually quaffled this, but the fact that the one seed doesn't get a buy initially, I, I didn't like that, but now having heard the process, it means that they play the team that just played two games, right? So yes. they should be playing a more tired, less managed team. Correct. Correct. I'm fine with it then. I'm fine. Look at these. Well, these leagues hey, need to raise their revenue back up after the year and a half we just had. This is a, an easy way to do it. I am not going to kill this by any means. I, I don't like the fact that there's clearly four, you know, bad team. That's a bad team under 500 with 60. That's a bad team. So uh, there's four teams that shouldn't be even in conversation for contention. And hopefully that these play-in games will will weed those teams out. Yeah, and like you have team like Washington. Yeah, they have Russell Westbrook on there, but a team like that right now that had been so far down in the standings, I think they were like second in second bottom at one point. <laughs> the fact that they have worked their way back up. Yeah. There there's always when you have eight teams Look, you half, mentioned it though, Scott. Conference, Here, here's all that has to ha- this is a marketing thing. It's it's a revenue thing, but look at you mentioned Washington, Bradley Beal, Russell Westbrook, Boston, Jason, you know, you know Tatum and Jalen Brown, Charlotte, Lamelo Ball, Memphis, John Morant, Golden State, Steph Curry, Lakers, uh, LeBron and AD. That's your playing games. Could you imagine the postseason without those guys? It's just better to be able to see these guys in prime time, you know, in in some capacity anyway. So that's all I need to see. You're right. Having Westbrook and Bradley Beal. In in a position to do some damage, and you're right, they've been on an incredible run over the past couple of months. I, I'm all for that. I really am for that. The more superstars you can get in prime time this time of year, the better. So good on the league for that. Um, I just I'm worried the Pacers are going to ruin a couple of parties, and that and then it becomes you know bad basketball. The last thing I'll say contractually, because that's what we talk about, is I, in the long run. There are some players that have playoffs as oh. part of their incentive. Inter- so does the play-in so, count, Scott? I, that is what I don't know. Okay. Does it is it considered part of the playoffs? Because if you look at this map, I'm looking at the NBA.com slash standings. They have a really good uh, graphic for those that want to go take a look at it. Yeah, we can figure it, it out. Explains yeah. everything. They call this play-in start May 18th. They say playoffs start May 22. Mm. So. Does that constitute that if you are in a play-in, you are not? I think that language is on purpose, Scott. Yeah, I think that's right. So, and I'd have to go back and see if any player on any of these play-in teams would suffice for a play a playoff bonus incentive. Yeah, I was just going to ask you. There's your homework. What are these guys going to get paid for this? Because this isn't a regular season game. There's your homework. Well, it's already. It's not they, a regular season game. They they don't. So they would only be play, paid through game 72 and they don't get paid in the playoffs because it's just built into, you know, some guys have their checks where it's every There's bonus pools though. There is bonus pools for the playoffs. That is correct. But would I'm, this count? My guess is no. Oof. My guess is no. So that's why players hate this. Can we get this out? Can we get this out in the open? It's always money. Money's always the answer. It, it LeBron doesn't the care answer. about playing another game. 
his 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 guys aren't getting paid for this. Not him yeah, specifically, he, his guys, the, the the eighth guy in the bench. That's how LeBron thinks. You can hate the guy. He thinks like this. He thinks like the leader of this of this league. And he, there's four, te- two, four, there's eight teams right now who could be playing for nothing, who who might go home after a game and get not get paid for it. So if that, that really is the and, case, Scott, then that's BS, right? That and if you have a player who is say in the tense, you know, tense is a bad idea. Let's call it, let's say seven or eight seed yeah. who would originally be in the playoffs. They lose two games and you had something as an incentive built in that sure. if I make the first round of the playoffs, I'm going to get a $250,000 bonus incentive. That's something to grape about because yeah. you would have otherwise been in the playoffs and would have triggered that $250,000. And then it would have additionally been, added onto your cap for the following year. So yet you're going to have some guys that are going to have a gripe. Or if you look at from the other side, you have something even more to play for in those plans to make sure you get that bonus. So very interesting. All right. Big last week of regular season basketball for sure. Um, Do we, do we have to update our picks? Are you good with your picks? From the beginning of the, Season, I think I had Lakers and Philadelphia. So yeah. I, I'm, I'm going to stick with Philadelphia. Lakers, uh, I don't know. Still seems kind of safe. Yeah, what are the odds? Do, do you have FanDuel up? I do. Are they still number two? Because last I knew they it's were number Brooklyn, two. It's Brooklyn, the Lakers, the Clippers, the Jazz, and the Bucks are your top five. They still have them at 460. 550. Oh, Le- it changed. LeBron's injury is becoming a problem. Yes, yeah. it is. But why is Harden's injury not? Because they still have two other players. Doesn't matter. That are, Th- those no, those two matter. players have lost to Milwaukee. Those two players have lost. The, they've been losing big games. They they have, but I think Brooklyn's roster is probably deeper than Los Angeles's. Where as we've seen all year, which is why Los Angeles is in the seven mm-hmm. seven seed slash play in tournament is. The two players that they have had missed significant time, and if they're not both there, their team is at a disadvantage. Whereas if you are Brooklyn, you can have Harden and Durant and Irving rotating in and out, but they also have, you know, they did they did acquire uh, Blake Griffin. They have a Joe Harris. They have DeAndre Jordan. They are deeper overall than the Lakers and that is Brooklyn without a Spencer Dinwiddie who's been out all season so I gotta tell you man eight to one on Philly the number one seed in the east I'm taking them that's the bet I'm putting down right now but but I'm gonna say this that they they probably are the betting favorite right now but based on this playing tournament if you end up with a Washington against Philadelphia I I think Washington would have a chance against Philadelphia, a big chance. The way that they've been playing, uh, they have they have some big guys, Lopez and Gafford, who they traded for, who they really like and yeah. who has been playing really well, to match up against Embiid. And if Simmons is out or, you know, there, there can be some matchup issues depending on how this play-in tournament lasts. So if you're going to make that bet, make that bet. I would hold off until you know what teams are playing what in after this play in tournament. Number one seed's not getting their love here. 
Utah and Philly, both way down this list. Phoenix, even more far, more down this list. It's about the Giants who've been either injured or kind of load managing at, that they think are going to come crashing through. Clippers, Lakers, you know, Brooklyn. I get it. That's where the, that's where the superstars and the experience live right now. So I get it. But that Philly team's experience. So is Milwaukee. We haven't mentioned their, their name once. Right? Right. We haven't mentioned them once. There's experience there. A ton of experience there. Not, and postseason experience now, too. That's what it takes. So... I, <laughs> You can, and don't sleep on the Miami Heat again. Exactly, I, I could put twenty twenty to hundred dollars on eight teams right now, and feel pretty confident about it. Nobody's perfectly healthy, and nobody's perfectly set up for this, especially with the plans, like you mentioned. So it's a weird year. It's going to make gambling harder because of the unknowns of the playing tournament. And what happens if you know AD gets hurt in that first playing game? What happens then? Lakers are toast, and their what plus five fifty is a joke. Yeah, you know? And what happens if a, a health protocol hits on that play-in game and well, it hit take? Not I mean, it's been the whole season. Not right? wood. It hasn't really season, happened but yet, but at least if if it, it happened in a seven-game series yeah. and you miss two games, you still can be back for the other games. Whereas this is a one-and-done game, so um, it, it is definitely going to be interesting for this last week, and we'll see where things fall. My thanks to the athletic. Visit theathletic.com slash track for 40% off. Real-time commentary, long-form, short-form articles, podcasts, the works, everything you need to be a real sports fan. And, of course, the Morgan Stanley Global Sports and Entertainment. Wealth management for prospective professional athletes, current professional athletes from A to Z, how to get you into the game, how to keep you into the game, how to make sure that your investment strategy and risk management is all kept at bay. MSE excuse me, ms.com slash GSE. Get you started. For Scott Allen, my name is Mike Gennetti. Thanks for listening to this edition of the Spot Track Podcast. <laughs>